Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tan Grace, and as always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how are you doing today on this fine Friday afternoon? Well, I think I'm, I think I'm fully done with my morning period for the you know the Jazz being eliminated from the playoffs. You know, it's been uh, over a week now. That's you. That's about how long it takes usually. Um, and though you, it's it's always awkward watching the 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 playoffs afterwards because I get to watch the I'm watching the team that that beat Utah Dallas just get their ass handed to yeah. them by Phoenix, and they're just not you know they just can't uh, actually their offense has generally been better slightly better against Phoenix than it was against Utah though nobody realizes that because all they see is wins and losses and people are really stupid. Uh, but the, uh, if you look at their offensive ratings, actually slightly higher in these first couple of games, it's just that they can't stop Phoenix because Phoenix is shooting like set 66% from the mid range when average is like 44. It's just, it's just yeah. unbelievable. They just don't miss. Yeah. Like I completely understand that feeling like, you know, because, um, you know, my team made the playoffs the last couple of years in a row, you know, when they get eliminated, it's like, Generally, when I was younger, I used to have to say, "Well, I'll 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 root for the team that eliminated mine." Then I'm like, "No, fuck that! I'm not rooting for the Dodgers." And then you know, last <laughs> year, obviously, we win it all. So I'm just like, my, my friends and I. So I have like two really good friends. One of which people here might know, Wilson Hunter. You know, he's responsible for Cardboard Live. And then I have a Muggle friend named Jake Hartley, who's like my he's been my best friend like my whole life. Like I'm the godparent to his first son. You know, like that kind of stuff. Like we're probably gonna go watch the game whenever we're done recording this. You know, that kind of thing. And. uh we all chat about it and like every year, you know, like, and we're like really into it. You know what I mean? Like there are people that I can have like really in-depth conversations with. They're not like, yeah, this dude hits a lot of home runs. He's good. You know, it's like, yeah. Do you think we can afford this player? Like, do you think he unbalances our lineup from right to left-handers? Like, how do you think he plays interdiv? You know what I mean? Like real actual conversations, like how to build a baseball team. Right. You know, the stuff that I like, cause you, you know, you've talked about this on the show before the depth at which I go. You know, when you love something as much as that thing as much as I do, you want to know everything about it, right? And so I can have that conversation with them. And then, like, after the season ends, usually we're like, all right, what do we need for, like, next year? What changes do you think needs to be made? You know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, there's this weird sense of, like, you almost don't care, right? Like, you <laughs> care, but, like, you're just like, battle won, mischief managed. Like, what do you what do? You do? Like, we, yeah. we did it. We won This is everything. your season to kick back and be like, you know... We don't have to win every year. We got last year, yeah. and then next yeah. year the insanity will begin again. Because we, we've actually started off really, really slow this year. Um, we're playing really well in certain aspects and really badly in other aspects. As opposed we, to the very fast start you got off to last year. Which we were, which we were <laughs> insanely slow last year as well. But it's it's another thing exactly that happened last year where like if you, if you take a deep dive into the numbers, we've been one of the most unlucky teams in the majors where like, we've limited our opponents to like the third softest contract, uh, contact in the entire league. But the batting average against us is like way, way too high. And then like we're barreling balls more than anyone else in the league. And we just like have one of the lowest on base percentage. You know, our guys are just smashing balls everywhere, but they're just like right at people. And it's just it's annoying. And then like, you know, we just got done with a series of the Mets, you know, our, our main rival who are off to a hugely great start this year. And like in the series, I can't tell you how many like I don't know if I've ever watched a series before where I've seen that many hits at like 80 miles an hour or less. And I know at home that sounds like a lot, but when you're hitting a baseball square, you're hitting it at like 100 and something miles an hour or well over 90. So if people are hitting balls at like 80 or less, these are not hard hit balls. Like these are, you're going to make plays on these. Like they're not going to find holes most likely. And they just did. They found like every hole possible. And it's, 
even the announcers were making a point. They're like, at some point, like, what do you do? You just have to throw your hands in the air. Like this is, they were saying it like, this is frustrating to watch. Yeah. We, we had one of those plays happen last night that our spring softball season started this week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the last night's game, uh, our best player rockets a ball down the third baseline and it's a it's a low line drive like this is a foot off the ground but it's in the air but it was just literally right at the third baseman and he just you know go drops to one knee and picks it uh and you know you know made a great play on it but if that ball is you know a foot away from him in either direction there's no way he, the third baseman reacts in time uh and we've got an, an easy base hit uh but that's just sometimes the way it goes. So, so are you are you normally the kind of person that still roots for the team that beat you know yours? Oh. It matters what sport because like here's the thing in baseball I have I have like more prejudice towards teams. You know, there's some teams like I still like, and there's teams I'm just like I refuse to to root for this team. Like I will never root for the Astros unless I'm like with an Astros fan because I have a couple friends that are big Astros fans, obviously, and I'm like at the game or something like I'll. I'll be okay with it. You know what I mean? Like, because you get that, like, you know, when you're around a bunch of fans polite. on a team. Yeah, you, yeah. If you're at a game with a bunch of other fans and it's like you don't care about the other team that they're playing, like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I want the hype too. You know what I mean? Like, let, let's have fun. But no, I generally don't do it in this sport very much. Yeah, for me, it, it depends on the team, and I found Dallas very annoying. You know, <laughs> they particularly, do seem a little annoying. I mean, honestly, Luca is just one of the most annoying players in the league. He just complains yeah. all the time, and the Jazz have something like. Yeah. Uh, the Jazz LeBron. actually, you know, complained way too much early in the season. They, they, fortunately, they they toned it down a bit. Um, but Luca literally just complains on every play. Sometimes he complains after getting a call, and I'm just like, dude, what are you complaining about? Like, you got the whistle. <laughs> but so I, I don't know what it is. So I decided not to root for Dallas, even though I'm not a huge fan of of Phoenix either. I'm really not a fan of any of the teams remaining. Like Memphis is kind of okay, except I never really liked Dylan Brooks, and I'm glad he got suspended because that play he made was ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know if you saw it. I, uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's bad. Where he just winds up and whacks a guy in the head. Yeah, um, it's, it's bad. Yeah, so I don't really have many teams to root for left. I like I'm kind of okay with Phoenix. Phoenix fans are very annoying, but and I don't like Devin Booker, but I like Chris Paul and always have and thought he was really underrated. So I'm okay rooting for Chris Paul. I also I, I do find it annoying that pe- like people use the fact that they're a very good team and also good in the mid range to be like see like you know the you know analytics is stupid and it's like no they just have two of the guys that shoot mid range shots at a high enough percentage to make them good yeah. shots yeah. like no analytically minded person is going to tell Chris Paul not to take a shot that he makes fifty five percent of the time yeah. but there's He's only like five people in the entire NBA that do that. And the Phoenix has two of them, <laughs> so you know they're just they're just an outlier, and nobody wants to recognize them as such. So yeah, it's like you need to look at the whole picture, not just this one you looked at, just the yeah. single one, you know, kind of thing. It's just ridiculous. So, but speaking of sports stuff, I have I have a moral question for you. Yeah, and this came up for me this week. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the situation as if it's you. Okay, so you order a jersey from the MLB shop online, okay? It's a a special jersey, limited series. You're like, I I want this one, blah, 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 right? Um, It's not the exact size you want. They're out of your size, right? Because in jerseys, I order small because they they generally are bigger, right? And I don't want to swim in my jersey. But they're out of small, so you order a medium. You're like, this will be fine, right? Um, So 
and they're and they're out of smalls. So while you're waiting for it, and for some reason it's taking forever to ship, probably because they're going through you know hundreds, thousands of orders, like blah blah blah. Even though they said it's ready to ship. And uh, while you're waiting for all this, uh, you keep saying it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. It had a you have a ex- expected date of delivery, and the thing hasn't even shipped yet. So you know it's going to take a while, right? One of your buddies goes to while this is happening. One of your buddies goes to the actual game, knows about the problem you have, and texts you, "Hey, they have one small left in the store. Do you want me to buy it for you and ship it to you?" So you're like, "Yes, do that," because you know you can just refund the other jersey, right? So you do that, right? Uh, other jersey makes it to your house, right? You don't refund yet because you want to make sure. Other jersey makes it to your house. You try on the small, fits perfect, right? So you get online, you cancel your order, you ask for a refund. Uh, they, an actual human being, sends you a message. Like they have the the, the messaging system. It comes up and it's like, hey, like, uh, you know, what's going on? They like they, they they talk you through it just in case it's like a situation that you need help in. And like, hey, very simple. I just want to cancel this order. I don't I don't want the item anymore. And they're like, cool. Uh, well, I, I see that you got, you know, you purchased this way. We'll have a refund out to you. It usually takes, you know, one to four business days, right? Cool. You're like, no problem. You do everything. They cancel it. Cool. Fast forward about three weeks. There's a knock at your door. There's a delivery on your front step. And it's from the MLB shop. The jersey's at your front door. So you're like, huh, maybe the, the cancel didn't go through and the refund didn't go through. You go to your... You know, you go to your, you pick up your phone, you go through your, your payment system, you see that you got the refund. What do you do? Um, so now you, well, so now the issue is that you have two copies of the same jersey, essentially. Well, I have a, I have a small and I have a medium now yeah. of the same jersey, but I have been refunded the funds that I paid for the medium. I would pick whichever one I want to keep, see if I have someone I can give the other one to, and if not, sell it. That's exactly what I'm doing. Uh, Jake wears a medium, the guy that we're talking about. So like, nice that I brought him up, right? There's always like some foreshadowing here. Yeah. Jake wears a medium. I'm like, hey, come watch the game in my house that I have a present for you. Because this isn't the first time this happened. This happened uh, when I lived in Las Vegas. That's how long ago. This happened in Las Vegas. Uh, Natalie saw me like creeping on some stuff on Instagram. She's like, oh, what is that? I was like, look, or I was just like, hey, look how cool these are. The Braves got like spring training shorts to, to, to like official shorts to work out in. And they're like, they're basketball shorts, but they're like Atlanta Braves, like nice basketball shorts. Like I still wear them to this day all the time. And there's like, you, they look brand new, you know, they're super high quality, blah, blah, blah. And so she buys one and she gets like, you know, two day delivery. doesn't tell me about it. Right. She's like, Hey, uh, check the mail today. I got a present for you coming in the mail. And I was like, cool. And I'm like, Hey, there's nothing here. And she's like, okay, check tomorrow, check tomorrow. Nothing's there. So she emails them. They're like, Oh, we're sorry. Something went wrong. Like, we had you on non two day shipping. We had you on normal. Which when we lived in Vegas, uh, we have a distribution distribution center there. So sometimes we would get stuff like three hours after we ordered it. Like they would just ship it immediately, right? And so they're like, "Sorry, uh, you know, we'll get one out to you as soon as possible." Uh, you know, they gave her like you know five dollar gift card or whatever, and they're like, "Look, it'll be out there like tomorrow." Next day shows up. Shorts are great. Three days later, the original shorts show up. So I was like, Jake, what's, what's your address? I'm, I'm sending you a present. So like, this is not the first time that he's just gotten free stuff, you know, <laughs> from me or whatever. So I was like, yeah, I don't think I would sell it. I think if like I don't give it to him, I might frame it and just put it in my house. Like have a framed like World Series jersey. Yeah, that'd know? be cool to do too. 
Yeah, because I got the Freeman one as well to frame. So I'll have like the Freeman and the Cunha jerseys next to each other. So that would be kind of cool. And they're different yeah. colors too of like, you know, the, the Braves jerseys. They're not just the, the exact same, which is kind of cool too. So yeah. I'm, so I'm certainly just, not trying to go out of my way to return this item to the yeah. business because I don't give yeah. a fuck about them. Yeah. So like that was my question. Like I asked it in a Discord that I'm in as well with a bunch of my friends. And I was like, would anyone, you know, like I just asked what people would do. And everyone's like, keep it, keep it, keep it, keep it. And I was like, would anyone not keep it? And like, no one was like, yeah, like I'd, I'd return it. It's different. It's it's a lot different when like, you know, one of my friends, he, he's like this. It's like, um, if you're walking in like a parking lot and you find like a $100 bill on the ground or $20 bill on the ground, like you don't go like turn it in. You just put it in your pocket and walk off. But if you see it fall out of someone's pocket and then you keep that money, you're a piece of shit. Like yeah. you return it to the, like you, you see it, you know, you see it happen or whatever. Or like you're at a store, someone gives you, like, I can't tell you how many times I've been, you know, I used to play poker a lot. I can't tell you how many times like, They've given me the incorrect money and they've given me more sometimes. And like a, like you, you should say something right away because like they check that shit on cameras and like, sometimes they're going to make you pay it anyway. Later, like you come back in, like I've literally seen people, they're like, Hey, uh, come over here and security comes over. Like we gave you an extra thousand dollars last time you were here. You owe us a thousand dollars or you can never come on this property again. Like they'll, they'll actually come after you B, like you may cost that person their job as well yeah. like let's think beyond ourselves like is this really worth you know 100 bucks to you to get to, get to lose this random person's job we should we uh, should look out for individual people we yes. don't need to look out for major corporations. corporations yeah corporations are not people no matter what the supreme court tells you <laughs> let's not let's not go down that road right now i got a lot of stuff to say about that company right i mean the company that, that, that thing right now that particular and, body of people yeah that can yeah. yell a lot right now but anybody who follows me on twitter they're like they know <laughs> about how i feel about that kind of stuff but all right let's go ahead and move on to the magic portion of the of the show because i definitely want to get this out of the way <laughs> i say out of the way because we're gonna probably try to have a little bit of a shorter show than normal today we're, we're fitting this in this week ross and i've been both in absurdly busy and uh, I will actually probably not be on the show next week because I'm going to be out of town the entire week with the first pro tour coming up for flesh and blood so Ross I I think I told you this already but you're going to find somebody to replace me I don't don't know how that's even possible but they'll have to they'll have to try it is not only possible it is easy (laughs) (laughs) but we want to make sure that we do mention our sponsors Ross why don't you tell us a little bit about Barrister and Man Barrister and Man is our original sponsor, and we love them, and we think you'll love them too. Uh, that is two ends in Man, and a, a great uh, New York-based, uh, New York State that is a based company for uh, hygiene and, and grooming products. Uh, so, you know, if you want to know what it's like to take a shower with really high-quality soap, because I promise you. It is a lot different than using crappy soap from the supermarket. Or if you're a person that, you know, shaves on a regular basis, like tannin, uh, and you want to know what it feels like to shave with some high-quality products or use good aftershave, uh, you know, once again, it is a hell of a lot different. So, um, you know, they they make great stuff. We encourage you all to check it out. Uh, I know, and I've said many times, that I'm a fan of the Seville scent, but... Uh, really can't go wrong with anything they've got over there. Um, and if you use the code MTGRANTS2022, you will get 10 per- Is it 10% or 15? I think it's 15. 15% off of your order at checkout. So make sure you use that code. Check them out. Get yourself some nice fancy soaps and, uh, and shaving supplies. And I promise you, you will, uh, you'll feel a whole lot better because I have ever since I've started using them. Yeah. I, I can't get over enough how 
much better like the skin on my face and smoother my uh shaves are with like you know shaving butter and the after bombs and stuff they use it like my skin's just so much healthier and so much better love it definitely want to talk about our other sponsor too uh we'd be remiss if we didn't uh mention them as well then that's mox roasters it's a company out of houston that makes uh so they specialize in coffee and coffee products you should definitely check them out they do have a website uh the biggest thing that i, I take away from them is the company is comprised of all magic players and friends so they just got together one day they're all like yo we like coffee let's like let's make a, a a company to like put this stuff together and they make a very high quality product which is a big deal they're specialty coffee roasters so you're getting something a little better than what you'd get at like you know your what your company's got sitting around in the break room you know if you're a real coffee connoisseur for uh, you alliteration fans at home this is a company you definitely want to check out um i'm a big big fan of uh the two that i've tried so far one of them has this like hot chocolate kind of taste to it or like cocoa kind of taste to it a little more than coffee and like i kind of like that because i'm not the the i like the bitter to be to be gone as much as i can out of coffee so that that one's that one's good for me and you get a 10 percent discount code on anything that you order from them make sure you use the code mtg rants in all capital letters at checkout so make sure you check them out that's moxroasters.com so lots of cool stuff in there you can find them on twitter as well they've even got a little uh mtg tournament series going as well so you might want to look that stuff up too and they got some catering and stuff going on with it so i might find my way over to houston to play in one of those <laughs> as well uh me and brent have been talking about going playing one of them uh, our lovely editor the problem is two things i'm kind of busy you know these weekends like i'm going to be in new jersey for like the next week or whatever for some of these and i'm like you could probably find a player that's better than me right now <laughs> as well too uh, but could they find a player that is more handsome than you um i think brennan doesn't play very much right now so we'll, we'll yeah brennan was the only one so with him out of the way <laughs> uh speaking of brennan let's talk about some of the cards from uh the new set that's been making waves and constructed streets and of new Capenna. Yeah, Streets of New Cabana. And I think the reason that I want to bring up Brennan here is let's start with Standard. And this is Brennan's like, ideal format. It looks like it's just a mid-range fest all the way through all these decks. Um, we've got like Jund mid-range. We've got like Naya versions of deck. All kinds of forms of black-white decks or Esper decks that are going on. Um, a lot of those, their mana is getting a lot better now with the Trilands. I, I had a couple people mention that after the after the show last week our top eight episode they're like did they just forget the lands existed we just decided to act like they didn't exist for this because we yeah. know that they're going to be highly it's just impactful. so obvious yeah it's just so obvious because i remember one of the sets that we did what was it like uh the set that had the flip lands where we put those as number one and so people gave us some some shit about that and we were just like yeah we'll just, we'll just leave them off we'll talk about the actual cards they get cast uh for the set so those are obviously kind of making their way in and the first deck that i have pulled up so we just talk about some of, we don't have to talk about the deck too much we talk about the cards that are making big impacts um one of the standard challenges was won by excuse me as a new variation of an older deck you know we've seen green uh red werewolves you know maybe not standard so much but in a couple of the sets like make an appearance and this is green red werewolves splashing black so you're looking at jund for it's got riveter's charm it's got uh Isaiah Torah's envoy as another big thing here and another card that she's making into is Valky as well and these two cards are four ofs in the new set along with the the land that we mentioned as well this one is uh Zayatora's proving ground the one's got the boxing ring in the middle i like the art on that one it's got a little so it's gender dome as we like to talk about and you know river charm carrying a lot of weight here it's a card i know you liked quite a bit doing a lot and then the envoy i'll just read this one at home for everybody that's doing a lot here because this is a good threat with some card advantage built in which is kind of what jund wants right so this is one black red green 
for a creature Vanishino Warrior. It's got Trample, and it's a 5-4. Whenever it deals damage to a player, look at the top card of your library. You may play a land from the top of your library or cast a spell with mana value less than or equal to the damage dealt from the top of your library without paying its mana cost. If you don't, put it in your hand. So in some way, shape, or form, you're getting an extra card here. It also has Blitz for two black, red, green. So for one extra mana, you can just cast this with haste, and then at the end of the turn, you're going to draw a card off it anyway. So you might draw multiple cards off this. So it's just a hasting 5-4 Trampler. Uh, this card's pretty sweet in, in some standard decks. This is, the, this is the kind of card, when this card is good in standard, this is a format I'm interested in playing. Yeah, and I remember, you know, reading the card and thinking, you know, that seems pretty good, but the his recent history of Standard made me shy away from it, thinking that, you know, it's just going to be a form in a 5-4 that gets either trumped by something going over the top or just answered immediately, but, uh, you know, in a format like we've seen it shake out in these opening weeks where everything's just a mid-range fest, having threats like this that let you generate card advantage while also affecting the battlefield uh, are, you know, quite valuable. And then, you know, this one with the other option to Blitz really helps you answer Planeswalkers, so you can have that, that haste threat if you really need it. So, yeah, I, I think if I, had I, you know, known that Standard was going to move into this place, I would have been higher on that card going in. Uh, but really, to me, the story here is Riveteer's Charm. That card is just really, really good. Yeah, before we get to the Charm, there's one more thing I wanted to say about the Envoy. and the, the way that it works right now and fits into Standard, I really like it because, like you said, the Blitz part, pretty good. Um, a lot of the ways that a lot of the decks are finding ways to stay alive is it makes a bunch of 1-1s or 2-2 tokens. So this attacking through that, getting you that value is pretty good. But the main removal spell in Standard right now that's not damage-based out of like the blue-red decks is Vanishing Burst. And that Exiles target mono-colored permanent, which this is not. So uh, this kind of dodges one of the main removal spells in the most popular decks, which are the black-white decks. So... This seems like a very good metagame choice. And this is along the lines of like what you always talk about when you're, you know, what you change up in your decks is like, I want my removal spells to line up well that week. Well, this is someone doing the opposite. They're like, I want my threats to line up well against these removal spells. So definitely uh, showing some versatility there and a lot of stuff. Also, uh, Obnixilis made its way into this deck as well. Kind of glossed over that. I, I kind of forgot to mention that, but I know you like Riveter's Charm quite a bit, right? Yeah, uh, and you know, Omnixilis made it in. That, that just seems like it's here to be a good card. And honestly, yeah, it's just a it, good card, right? Yeah, <laughs> in this deck, I think you're going to often just cast it normally without any sort of casualty, uh, but good enough still to, to see play. You know, sometimes you can like sack a cat token, which would be great, or one of the fable tokens, something like that. Uh, but really, like, Riveteer's Charm is our main removal spell in this deck, which is a big deal. This is mainly, a, this is a pretty aggressive looking deck. You know, this is a deck that's able to play a long game. It's got a lot of ways to grind um, with value from, uh, you know, uh, Valky, you know, going into the late game and becoming uh, Tybalt sometimes. You've got the Envoy drawing cards. You've got Chariot generating value, Meat Hook Masker, and Fable. Um, but all those cards that are generating value are also, with the, the exception of Riveteer's Charm, are also generating threats. Fables, you know, making tokens, chariots, you know, that's how they're generating the values, by letting you develop more of a battlefield and put pressure on your opponent. So, you know, this is a deck that doesn't want to play that much interaction because you're trying to be more aggressive and, and stay out in front. So having it tacked onto cards that do other things, whether it's Riveteer's Charm mainly, but also a little bit of Meat Hook Massacre and uh, Valky, you know, the, the Tybalt side can answer, you know, various permanents on the other side of the battlefield. But, you know, it's important that 
the even the removal spells in this format can be in this deck I should say can be cast proactively and that's you know one of the things that both of us remarked about Riveteer's Charm in our top eight episode uh, that you know having a removal spell that can be cast proactively in another mode is really really valuable and here you're just seeing it firsthand absolutely speaking of these decks that put a lot of permanence into play uh the next one that we kind of want to talk to here that's got some some cards that are making waves from the new set this is the esper planeswalker deck this was a deck that was like kind of already a deck before this set came out but this one not only does it get a couple upgrades and new cards the mana base gets better in this one as well you know you get rafine's tower you know the the esper triland the triome however you want to call it here but cards that are making its way into this uh you get a new planeswalker that's been um not hugely impactful, but they're, you know, you're seeing like one copy of Elspeth Resplendent in this one as well. I do like the other Planeswalkers just a little bit better. They're better at like doing all of the things, right? Like having some form of card advantage, maybe putting a threat into play and stuff like that. Elspeth's a little better of one that's like when you already have a board established, this card does a very good job of ending the game very quickly and stuff like that. So that card is very, very good. Um, you know, it does make a, you know, can make some tokens when you ultimate it and stuff, but it just, it needs a little help. Yeah, it's a good curve topper. It's good to, at pressing an early advantage, and, and you see it, uh, you know, at the top end of a Selesnia aggressive deck in, in second place in one of the other challenges. So, you know, in, in decks that are a little more aggressive, uh, it's even better. This deck is a little bit aggressive. I think Rafine itself uh, really moves the deck in that direction. And, you know, when you have a card like Rafine that's generating a lot of value and you're attacking, I like the fact that all the Planeswalkers in the deck can put permanents and put creatures onto the battlefield. And Wandering Emperor, Soren, Lolth, Kaido, Shizuki all do it directly. Elspeth can use that minus three and find a, a permanent to put on the battlefield. So this is a deck that, you know, if you were to just look at it in a macro sense and say, you know, I've got 17 creatures, but Skyclave Apparition is kind of a removal spell, you know, uh rather than a creature, and I've got 10 Planeswalkers and some removal, the deck looks a lot grindier than, um, you know, uh, than you might, uh, than it actually is. Yeah, this uh, is not a not to say deck. it's not grindy. Yeah. I guess it yeah. looks less aggressive, I should say. Um, so you do have those that capability to play through a deck with a lot of interaction or put up a ton of blockers against an aggressive deck, start trading down for their creatures, and come out ahead, because, you, you know, you're just going to keep generating more and more value each turn, but... Uh, you, you do it in a way that maximizes one of your key cards in Rafine, um, which, you know, w w we talked a little bit about uh, in our preview shows is a card I was worried wouldn't really find a home. Uh, so I'm really glad to see it find one here. And this is the exact kind of home that I think makes a lot of sense for it. You know, we're, we're not super aggressive because it's a three color deck. So you got to play these uh, triomes that enter tapped. And a bunch of other dual lands, it's going to be hard to be, you know, a three-color hyper-aggro deck. So, you know, no one-mana creatures here, and, you know, only two-drop is Luminarch Aspirant as far as proactive th cards go. But this is a deck that can be aggressive and generate attackers and really utilize Rafine, uh, you know, almost in in every way. I think Rafine is also often going to sit here and, like, protect your Planeswalkers, be a really good blocker while you're conniving with your other attacking creatures. Yeah, I think it matters what version you're looking at, too, because I've seen some of the ones, including the one that got second place, they actually have an extra two drop in it, which is a new card from the new set, and that's Tenacious Underdog. And so this one's kind of cool in the fact that, uh, you know, it's a 3-2 for two, right? So it's going to trade with most creatures that get cast in the first couple turns of the game. It's something that can, you know, you can pivot with it, like later in the game, I have a bunch of mana, I have all these Planeswalkers I'm activating. Well, for my turn, I'm going to cast this card from my graveyard over and over and over again while activating like planeswalkers and threaten you and draw cards and it's a card that you can kind of pitch to kyoto is 
kind of a, a freebie, right? And get a little bit of value and stuff off that as well. But like, yeah, I really like the curve on this deck a lot. Like the twos go into the threes, into the fours, into the fives really well. And, you know, we talk about, you know, Rafine going into these four mana Planeswalkers is really, really good. Uh, we talk about Elspeth Resplendent. If you ever get to Wandering Emperor into untap immediately and use Elspeth, you're in a really, really good spot as well for the next couple turns. So, because these, you know, tokens having Vigilance is a big deal. You know, you're like, now I'll make it a 33 or a 4 4 with Vigilance, maybe with First Strike, you know, Vigilance, you know, I mean, not sorry, Vigilance, a Lifelink, something else on it. A lot of ways to really turn the corner really fast in this deck. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, pretty classic mid range stuff. The card I actually really like in this deck is in the sideboard, these Malevolent Hermits. You know, in a metagame like this, where every oh, like every deck is kind of in that mid range, you're gonna see people try to go over the top of you, and Malevolent Hermit is great at shutting that down while staying within your own game plan. Uh, I'm just looking at all the other decks that exist, and like even the more aggressive decks are playing things like Zika's Chariot and Fable of the Mirror Breaker, uh, and you know a little bit of removal. So you're you're just gonna be able to use that card effectively. I would not be surprised to see those sneak into the main deck as this metagame develops, and people you know look for little ways to get an edge on the rest of the metagame because you know. In an early metagame, you're thinking, oh, Malevolent Hermit, it's mainly an anti-control card. It easily slots into sideboards. But the way this metagame is shaping up, I think that could very well be a main deck card. Oh, I'm 100% there with you. Like, uh, I love that card a lot. It's definitely a, uh, a tempo-positive blue card, which is, like, right up my alley. So definitely like those cards. Um, another cool deck that I liked quite a bit was the fourth place list from this exact challenge that we're talking about. I think this is the, what date was this one? This is the, on the first. So the fourth place list from this one. And this is a green, red dragons deck that I think is like one of the cooler innovations that's been going on. So something that we've kind of seen happening a little bit on arena that's been happening in some of the standard and standard adjacent formats is Magda brazen outlaw kind of coming into its own. And then we saw this set kind of really take it off with a lot of treasure generation because I was joking with you before the show, and you knew this, and I didn't, that Magda has a third line of text where it says sacrifice five treasures, search your library for an artifact or dragon card, put it on the battlefield, and shuffle your library. Until someone did that to me the other day in Arena, I was like, wait, what? What just happened? Because, you know, they just put, uh, you know, Goldspan Dragon into play, or they just put an Azika Chariot into play off their, their Magda, and I'm like, what, what just happened? You know, and so they're using Gala Greeters from the new set as just another way to create treasure tokens because yeah while they're while they come into play tapped off Gallagraders you can still sacrifice them to Magda not for mana but to go get you know this Goldspan Dragon or this Moonville Regent out of their deck uh, another deck like you said that just got Fable the Mirror Breaker Ezekiel's Chariot and they do splash blue for some sideboard cards it looks like they've got like Negate and Disdainful Stroke and a couple things like that you know maybe this is another deck that you could even possibly play Hermit in in the future or whatever but uh, just another deck that I think is really cool, and another card, you know, Gallagher is a card that you and I talked about, where I think in the right metagames, this one's going to be pretty good, and if the format's, like, mid-rangey and, like, you're just trying to snowball advantages, this is the card that I could get behind, because it's just going to do something, it's like a mini Planeswalker, right? Like, it's not as good, obviously, but it's got that effect, it's going to do something every turn, almost. Yeah, I, and I was skeptical of Gallagher but I think it looks great in this deck, um, you know, the the fact that you have Ginny Fay and I may have underrated Ginny Fay. I think in my head I I just sort of mentally shortcut to it saying if you would create one or more creature tokens, you can instead make the a two two or a three one. And 
it says any token. So if you don't need these extra treasures with Ginny Fae, you can start turning them into extra creatures. And then those extra creatures end up, you know, triggering Gallagreeters more times each turn. So there's a lot of synergy between those two cards in particular in a deck that is making treasure tokens. And then Gallagreeters, you know, one of the things I didn't like about it is that it's kind of slow to get off the ground, but that makes it a perfect card to utilize with Jaspera Sentinel, you know, early in the game uh, to get ahead on mana. And then, you know, by the time you're done using that mana, the Gallagreeters, rather than just being that poopy 1-1, is probably become a 3-3-4-4-5-5, and it's ready to start getting in the red zone. So, yeah, I think this is a, a very well-built deck and a really interesting one that utilizes some... Not necessarily like obvious synergies, but ones that I think maximize some cards that I was a little low on. Uh, but, you know, I always say that card evaluation is much less about saying which card is good and which card is bad, and much more about figuring out how how do we maximize these cards. And, and then you try out the, the list that maximize them, and you figure out which decks actually, you know, work and which decks it don't. And this is a deck that really does maximize its new cards. Yeah, I've never been a, a fan of uh, Jasper Sentinel. Like, every single time I put it into my deck, it underperforms or doesn't do enough. I hate top decking it. And in, like, this deck, it feels pretty good. Uh, the synergy between Sentinel and Magda is pretty obvious and cool, too. You can just tap the Magda for a mana, and then it makes a treasure as well. So you don't have to, like, attack it into something, you know, which is really cool. And for everybody at home, uh, we talk about Janae Faye. Let me read that card real quick, Rowan. This is the one of that weird casting cost. There's one for, like, every one of the houses where it's either triple green or you can pay red, green, white. You know, like it's got a green, red, or a green, white for one of its casting costs. It's an elf druid. It's a 3-3 legendary creature. And it says, if you would create one or more tokens, you may instead create that many 2-2 green cat creature tokens with haste, or that many 3-1 green dog creature tokens with vigilance. So this is a really hell of a good card in this, and this is one I kind of looked over with like how powerful it is. And the fact that, you play this, you start making tokens, and this is any token, because Ross said he kind of misread this the first time, and maybe I did too, or it doesn't say creature tokens, it's any token. So instead, you can start upgrading your treasures into 2-2 haste creatures, or these 3-1, if you're fighting for the board more, these 3-1 vigilance creatures are going to be able to block and attack, and stuff like that. So this card gets out of hand really fast in this deck, and so that's what I like about this deck. It's the typical, like, put some creatures into, into play, do some stuff, but... This deck almost acts like the Planeswalker deck, where if the permanents stay in play, they all work really well with each other, and you're going to start growing wide and tall very fast in this deck. So I'm actually going to put this one together and put it through its paces sometime soon. I like this deck a lot. Nice. Um, so next deck I want to talk about is seventh from this challenge. That is a mono green ramp deck. Yeah, this one's uh, super sweet. Yeah. yeah, and you know the the first thing I think of when I see a meta game like this, where everybody's playing a bunch of grindy planeswalkers and trying to be a little bit aggressive but still be able to play this attrition game, is I just want to ignore that and go over the top of everyone. And Titan of Industry is a really good threat to go over the top of people with. So Mono Green Ramp really, you know, topping out at Titan of Industry and also Storm the Festival. Unfortunately, Storm not able to find a Titan, but you've got some really good hits for Storm the Festival in Azekas Chariot, Renin 7, Workshop Warchief, the new Thragtusk. 
Uh, and we also see Topiary Stomper as another new card. This is uh, the kind of deck that could really utilize it. Like, you know, with, with Storm of the Festival, you can find that seventh land a little early if you wanted to. Um, you've got Emergent Sequence and Neverwinter Dryad, uh, you know, to ramp and, and not to mention the Stomper itself. And then Ren and Seven to find extra lands if you're a little stuck. I think Lair of the Hydra is a great utility land for this deck, um, you know, because you just want that kind of mana sink. So to me, this looks like a ramp deck that isn't all in. You know, there's not something super powerful like Ulamog that you can really go uh, that all in on ramping. But the ramp, there aren't many cards that just ramp in this deck. You know, Topiary Stomper comes with a four-four attached, emergency and sequence, and emergency sequence. You know, is gonna, creature. Yeah, it's going to come with with a creature attached. So it's really just a Neverwinter Dryad, and even that is going to be able to you know probably block against an aggressive deck, save you a little bit of life. Uh, you know, if you have it on turn one and then turn two block sack in combat. So I like that this deck is a ramp deck that isn't that dependent on it. So you're not going to get blown out by all these mid-range decks that just splash negate or have malevolent hermits in their sideboard. Uh, you're going to be able to play through those, but you're also going to be able to play some really, really powerful threats. And people have probably forgotten, but the first week that Renin 7 was around, people were playing a lot of mid-range decks. And Renin 7 plus Zika's Chariot was dominating standard. So I expect that combination to come back in full force if the metagame stays as mid-rangey as it is now. So I've actually played a game or two of this deck because I saw it and thought it was really cool. And I haven't had a hundred, uh, like a lot of time to play with it, but I will tell, talk about one sequence that I got to do with this where you know I played a Stomper on three and got my fourth land, right? And then my opponent made some play where they're like, oh, the Stomper is like not a card, right? Like it has no text right now because it's not going to be able to attack for a couple turns. Well, you untap, you play your fifth land, you play your Ren and Seven, and if you have it in your hand, you can zero Ren and Seven and put any number of cards from your hand, any number of land cards from your hand into play, and you can attack with the Stomper that turn if it's relevant. Like if you need to attack a Planeswalker or something like that, which is exactly what I did. So like you have some some pretty cool uh big time ramp stuff that you can do here because like you're all you're also looking at the deck just having turn timber symbiosis and a lot of other ways to you know dump your mana you got four layer of the hydra glarious sunrise is in this deck as well lots of ways to make sure that you're using your mana efficiently and all of it as the as the game goes on i like this deck a lot if you're a fan of mono green this is a very different mono green deck in standard it doesn't have any of the traditional like two drop three drop creatures like we've seen this is more like I'm trying to be like a Tron type deck. I'm trying to ramp out some big ass threats that people can't mess with. Also, Titan of Industry is a messed up card, like we said. So this one really shows off the power of Titan of Industry. And if you liked that card like I did, this is the deck for you. I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of what this one's got going on. Was there anything else in standard that we kind of wanted to go over? You know, we've talked about a lot of the cards that have been showing up. I was about to say, I think I don't think anything else. I'm trying to see if anything else slipped through. I'm going through the other yeah. list. Yeah. I mean, there's some small things here and there, but, um, you know, I'm seeing a lot of these sort of Orzavi, Esper colored decks, a little bit of Izzet around still, but these decks don't have a ton new going on with them. Um, not a ton of, of, um, of, um, Obnixilis. I'm seeing some, you know, Oni Cult Anvil decks and they're not playing Obnixilis. I think that might be more of a function of them just not having a ton of creatures, uh, in this format they want to play. They want to be more artifact-centric because of Oni Cult Anvil and Experimental Synthesizer being so good. Uh, and you really do need to consistently be casting uh, Obnixilis uh, at a, uh, you know, on turn three with uh, the casualty. So I'm seeing, like, I'm seeing two copies in the seventh place list of the second challenge. Normally I would think that's just an automatic four of, but just not a ton of creatures going on. 
um, especially not a ton that you want to sacrifice. Um, it would be really nice if Unlucky Witness said until... You know, oh, it does say your next instep. So that's actually kind of cool. No, no, I w- it says your, your next instep, so like if you do it that turn, it's yeah. that instep. If you do it your main phase. Oh, yeah, it should say the end step of your next turn. Yeah. It, God, it, some of the it, wording now just gets me. I'm pretty me. positive it was coded incorrectly, too, if, yeah. like, that's the way it's supposed to be. Like, I, I'm i not sure on that card. That card's really weird. Like, I yeah. feel like they meant for it to be that possibly, and it just isn't. That's uh, the card you want to sack at instant speed yeah. with a deadly dispute on, on, you know, your opponent's end step, and then untap and, and cast the cards. So, yeah, if Unlucky Witness synergized better with Omnicolos, I think you would see a lot more of them, but... You just don't see a ton of, of cheap creatures right now in standard that will that you want to sacrifice. That will likely change as more sets get added. But right now, Obdixilis looks to be a, a, a slight disappointment for standard, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a, Sanctu- a Sanctuary Warden was in the winning list that was like mono white as, lo- as well as it was the other. There was another new card in here. Let me find it real quick. Uh, whatever. Anyway, uh, Sanctuary Warden was a, was a one-of in that deck. Really cool card. You were a fan of quite a bit. Another card I like a lot more in a metagame like this. You know, generating cascading card advantage out of the big body that can attack Planeswalkers. Sign me up. Oh, Unlicensed Hearse is another card that showed up in a sideboard. But this is, I think, a card that you might see in another format. Even today, we might be talking about it. Remember, I think it definitely shows up in one of the uh, older non-rotating formats and stuff. So, speaking of those... Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Pioneer. We've had some interesting stuff going on in Pioneer. Um, some of the decks changing up a little bit. You know, some of the cards coming in. Was there anything in particular you wanted to, to talk about that the, caught your fancy? The one thing that surprised me the most, and it's because I don't, I'm not confident in how good it is, is Topiary Stomper, which I liked in the ramp deck and standard, uh, making its way into some of the mono green devotion lists in. Uh, uh, in Pioneer, you know, obviously card you can hit off of Storm the Festival helps ramp you into Storm the Festival while providing some devotion. But to me, this is not a deck that gets to seven lands all that often. You know, you are stopping at, you know, five in a lot of games and using Nykthos and your devotion uh, and untapping lands with things like Nyssa and, and Kiora to uh, you know, generate your extra mana, and you're also playing mana creatures instead of uh, traditional ramp spells. So you know, you spend a lot of games at, at relatively low land counts getting your mana from other sources. Now, maybe just being a two devotion card that generates, you know, that is a ramp spell um, that you know makes it so that you don't need it to be a four four all that often. But there's quite a few aggressive decks in Pioneer. So I'm skeptical of that one, uh, but we'll see how it plays out over the coming weeks. Yeah, any other cards kind of sh- like showed up and surprised you? Because I'll tell you this, there wasn't a lot that happened in Pioneer. I like, you know, Strangle showed up a little bit in some of the Is It decks, you know, that, that cast it, whether you're playing, you know, Phoenix or not. Um, it's just a, you know, a removal spell in this format, you know, a one mana sorcery that deals three damage is pretty good to a lot of the creatures in here. And there's, in particular, one cool thing that I wanted to point out in um, the 7th place list from... What date was this one? Give me one second. This is from the 1st. So the 7th place list was a Minota deck. And they had a really cool piece of uh, technology that I liked in here. So they're running to uh, Rocco Caporetti uh, Caterer. Yeah, yeah, sorry. It's, I, have it, I have it minimized, so it's really small. Um, so this one, when it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, 
You can search your library for a creature card of mana value X or less and put it on the value battlefield and then shuffle. It's a 3-1 and it costs X, red, green, white. So this is pretty cool in the fact that it gives you like this toolbox thing, right? Like if you need it, you can go find your innkeeper if you need to find some some life, yeah. right? You, you can, can find go find Thar to answer a creature. Right. You can find Wynota. You can find Wynota. You can go find Voice of Research if it's good. You got Thalia on your sideboard. You can go find it in the matchups you really need it. But the one really cool one that I like with this is there's one Ornithopter in this list. So if you already have the Wynota rolled up and you just want a second creature to make sure that you can trigger your Wynota next turn, you can cast this on three, X equals zero, go find the Ornithopter out of your deck, put it into play, and that is another creature that's going to trigger your Wynota next turn to where you're that much more likely to hit one of uh, one of your big payoffs. So I thought that was like a really, really cool uh, piece of technology that got added that's not just there for being cute, but actually does you know quite a bit of stuff. And then the eighth place list from the same... Uh, weekend was just mono white angels. It has a couple non white angels, but it's got a card in here that you and I talked about that I think should be on your radar just a little bit because it's it's making this deck a little bit more real. And that's uh, how did you pronounce it? Is it Giada? Giada uh, yeah. Font of Hope. And I'll tell you this: when you don't have Giada, this deck does not look super great. Right, you're a little slower than all the other ones. But when you have Giada, especially on the play, this deck gets actually kind of scary. And stuff. So, and this is a collected company version of the deck. So it's, it's mono white with you know collected company. And I, I, it's mono white. Let's be real. Yeah. And this is a pretty cool deck overall that I like. And back, I don't know, maybe like six months ago, I think there was a, a point in time where this deck was like sne- like sneakily one of the better decks in, uh, in Pioneer. Just the fact that like you could race a lot of the aggro decks that were going on or the other creature decks, and then you were powerful enough to end the game very quickly. So this is a really, really cool deck. It also uses a four of of a card that's a little hard to find at some points where it's Youthful Valkyrie. It's a card from Call Time that's not actually in the set. It was a, uh, I'm pretty sure it's one of the, the the cards that comes in the supplementary stuff from that set. It's in one of the, you know, the, the extra decks or whatever that comes on the side. So uh, another really cool little piece of, you know, it found another two drop that it wants to play in the deck, which is a big thing because... This deck really gets going at three mana, so in four mana. So having the any of that stuff early to do is pretty big. Um, let's go ahead and move on to was that was that it for you for Pioneer? Because I, I had one more deck I wanted sure, to talk about that sure. I think is really cool. Uh, it's eleventh place from the first Pioneer Challenge. There, uh, Pilot has a great moto handle, by the way. It's Pastor of Muppets. Oh yeah, I love that one. <laughs> that, that is that's good. Uh, and this is an Esper Greasefang list that makes use of two new cards. One, Tainted Indulgence. It was very high on our top eight list. Uh, a pretty obvious addition here. Just a great enabler um, and for uh, Parhelion, a great discard outlet, and just fixes your draws. But also playing four copies of Ledger Shredder, one in a blue, one three flying bird advisor, and says whenever a player, any player, casts their second spell each turn, Ledger Shredder connives. So connive is just another way for you to discard Parhelion, tear through your deck. Ledger Shredder itself, if you, you know, draw one or two of them, can get really big in this deck. There's a lot of cheap spells. Four opt, four consider, four thought seize, three fatal push, so a lot of one mana spells to be able to set up these double spell turns. Uh, and then those one mana spells also enable Dig Through Time, one of the most powerful cards in all of Pioneer, and really helps you find missing combo pieces if that's what you need. So really, really like the look of this deck as an advancement on the Greasefang archetype that has really fallen off after a strong showing early after the card's release. 
Um, and I also really like the monastery mentors in the sideboard. This is a great juke when people bring in all their graveyard hate. You can bring in monastery mentor, and it also plays well with all the cheap spells in the deck uh, and lets you win outside of the graveyard. So uh, really, really heady addition there to the sideboard. But I think Ledger Shredder and Tainted Indulgence are great, great additions to this archetype. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about Ledger Shredder just a little bit. This is a card that recently spiked online as, as much as a rare can. You know, there's a giant buyout for them quite a bit because it's actually seeing play in every format right now. I'm seeing, like, legacy decks with it. All the formats on Arena are starting to play with it quite a bit. Um, it's a card, like you said, it, get, it gets out of hand quite a bit very fast. I think I kind of miss the fact that it says any player, you know, when a player casts their second spell each turn. So you or I, you know, my opponent or me, uh, that's pretty big, and I'm kind of mad at myself for not seeing this coming because I kind of alluded to this where I talked about um, when we first saw this ability, when we first saw Connive, we talked about that like it might have an impact in a deck like this. This is like almost exactly the deck that I was referring, where if there's a, 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 a and this is like kind of what I had in my mind. It was like a two mana something with evasion that has Connive that is just good enough right to be played in these decks because if you trigger it enough it's going to be very powerful if you're doing other stuff along with it like if something else comes along with it and being on the body of a flyer this kind of acts like a delver of secrets kind of type of thing you know it's going to get really big really fast for a small initial investment in this format and it's going to really show you the power of connive and this card's going to be really good really big really fast and you know when you have a, a deck full of cards like dig through time murderous cut and then you're trying to find your you know your very specific cards like you need to find a Tate indulge or you need to find a perihelion right or you need to find that grease fang this is another card along with Tate indulgence that helps you do that you know you've got you know delve stuff to do as well uh i i love this card in this build of the stack i wonder if there's a future deck kind of like this that maybe doesn't even use grease fang maybe just becomes like esper like tokens like you just play the the monster mentor main and you become like this weird tempo control deck i'm not sure you know there's all kinds of ways that you can make this deck but i do like the quote-unquote like transformational sideboard juke plan like you said really really yeah. cool innovation and, and ledger shredder certainly helps with that yeah absolutely and just absolutely love the name as well pastor of muppets like you said just uh bravo on just one of the best names uh i'll tell you this if we move over to modern i gotta say one thing about it i'm a little disappointed ross I mean, can you really be that disappointed, Tannen? Like, modern rarely sees major shakeups. True. And to be honest, did you see many of the new cards making impact in modern? Um, no, really just small things here and there. You saw s some of the Amulet players adopting a Singleton Titan of Industry, like we thought, but not all. Um, so, you know, that that's far from settled at this point. Um, now there was the there was the one deck that uh, top aided that was kind of a surprise and has a new update in it, and that's the calibrated blast deck. That's yeah. one that, that showed up quite a bit. And for at home, I'm gonna read calibrated blast for everybody at home just in, just in case. It's two and a red for an instant, and it says reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a non land card. Put the revealed cards on the bottom of your library in random order. When you reveal a non land card this way. Calibrated Blast deals damage equal to that card's mana value to any target. And it's got flashback for five, three red, red. So the deck just runs a bunch of like really expensive stuff, right? It like runs like Scion of Draco, Emrakul, uh, and the Atakaton Worm. You know, these cards that are just cost 14, 15 mana, but there's a new one that got added to this because it's another 15 mana card from the new set, and that's Shadow of Morality. 
uh, it's mortality. Sorry, is that mortality? Is that a T? Yeah, shell of mortality. Sorry, I, again, this text is yeah. so small. It's a play so, on death shadow. Come on. Yeah. So this is another card that costs 15 mana. So if you reveal it to Calibrated Blast, that's 15 damage. It might just be enough to kill someone if they've done, you know, that shock, shock or whatever. And it's another card that in some items you might even just be able to cast, which is like a big deal because you can cast Sion of Drake out of this deck and you can cast Shadow of Mortality and it's kind of harder to cast Emrakul and the Worm because you have to actually like kind of pay for those cards full value. So this gives it another, you know, secondary way of doing it. And here's the thing. This thing got uh, 11th place in one of these and I did it top eight one of the ones as well. Uh, I did. I it, yeah, it top eight one of them as well. So like maybe this deck might have some legs as like a cool side deck you know like maybe like tier two but like if you like doing the weird stuff in these formats or like really angering your opponent and how they lose this is a really cool deck to do because you can completely hide what deck you're playing as well until the first time you do it you know you can just play a bunch of fetch lands and lands that like a lot of other people are playing and then all of a sudden you're just like uh in your turn calibrate blast you <laughs> you're about to take a lot of damage. And this is a deck that plays four gemstone counters too, which, look, have you ever considered being luckier is a thing that I say all the time, so let's use these luck counters. <laughs> yeah, and if you look at uh, the way Modern looks right now, that you know, there's a lot of these uh, Yorian blink decks and elementals, and at the top end, you also see Amulet Titan, which, you know, isn't as fast as it used to be, uh, and is a deck that you can potentially just race. Not a ton of counter spells outside of, like, is it Murktide? I imagine that matchup is not good. Uh, but, you know, you do have Besaju to, that you can fortune, you know, try to draw. And I'm sure they, you know, they've got a sideboard. Uh, yeah, three more copies I'm seeing in the, the 11th place list. Um, and the sixth place list is, they have Besaju too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they're all playing a bunch of Besages to get get around counter spells. So, uh, it feels like a very much kind of a, a metagamey deck to me. Old you know? school Besages, by the way, for everybody at home, the original Besages, who shelters all. Yeah, I also really like these copies of Nefalia Academy. You know, that's your anti discard, you know, spell card, though a little awkward um, that you can't it can't stop discard when you're on the draw, unlike Leyline of Sanctity. But you can't really play Leyline of Sanctity with Calibrated Blast, so you know I get it. Um, yeah, this is a card that uh, when I saw it in the list, I was like, I didn't know this was a magic card, like at all. And I play, I like, I played around with this set, so that one's a really weird one for me. Yeah, this is the kind of card that I always just ignore, and then I figure, mm -hmm. you know, I'm reminded that it exists when decks like this come out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So go, oh, that is that is something. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Legacy has seen a little bit of some of the new cards. Not many, you know, we've seen Shredder pop up in some lists here or there. One thing that I saw that was really cool is um, there was a Black-White Humans Vile deck that did pretty well. And one of them, I think it got, like, third place. And it's running stuff like Brutal Cathar, you know, things you wouldn't expect to see. Or, like, Esper Sentinels one we'd A card that you're a big fan of, General Kudro of Dranith is in this one. Uh, lots of, you know, the things you'd expect, right? Like Thalia, Atomic, uh, Thalia's Lieutenant, Aether Vial, all that good stuff. But the card that's new to it, and it's only like a two of, but this is a card that uh, would have been really cool in Legacy a couple years ago as well. It's Night Clubber. One of my favorite names ever for a card, <laughs> by the way, for like all the puns that are involved. But it's one black black for a human warrior. It's a 2-2. Two -two. When it enters the battlefield, creatures your opponent's control get minus one, minus one until no turn. And it's got Blitz for two and a black. So this is like... Very good against a lot of decks, obviously, you know, that have the small creatures. Any of the the white mirror matches, sometimes the Delver decks 
And then, you know, if anyone makes a bunch of goblins against you, this is very good in those matchups. It's also just a combat trick with Aether Vial, or, you know, you can blitz into, like, being able to make a big attack against another creature deck as well. So just another cool thing that's going here. And they have two more in the sideboard, so they can go up to four in some matchups. That means they really want it. Yeah, um, you know, that kind of effect has always been, you know, somewhat valuable in Legacy because those are those decks that take advantage of the, you know, lack of removal. You know, Ellis has gotten a, a boost ever since Alice or Shepard was printed. So, yeah, definitely an effect that is valuable and one that really fits in with what the uh, the humans deck is doing. Hmm. Overall, do you think we missed any other cards maybe that uh, have showed up and been kind of carrying their worth in these formats? I would say we, we may have missed a card that didn't show up that was getting a lot of hype, and that was um, Luxior, Giada's Gift. You know, a lot of hype about that, you know, bringing back Devoted Druid decks to modern and didn't see it show up in challenges. If you look at the SCG results from the weekend, there is one player uh, who took that to 11th place, a 5-1 record. So, you know, pretty good showing from one person, but definitely falling short of where the hype was going in. And honestly, like, that doesn't surprise me that much. I, I, I think the problem with Devoted Druid decks is Devoted Druid. <laughs> you know, trying to rely on a 2-mana 0-2 creature that you need to untap with in a format with, you know, that with, uh, in a format with, a cheap disruption at the quality that modern has now with, you know, solitude and fury and unholy heat and prismatic ending joining Thoughtseize, fatal push, lightning bolt, and what have you uh, is ambitious at best. So while it might get some upgrades around the fringe, if the fundamental problem with the deck is its key card, you know, that's not a problem you can really solve. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with you there. Like that's one of the things that like, if it's good, I'm gonna let somebody else figure that out. It's not a it's not a thing that I'm generally gonna be interested in. It's <laughs> that's not, really not a tandem problem. <laughs> yeah, that's not a tandem problem exactly. Like I'll just kill that deck when I play against it. But yeah, <laughs> it's definitely got some cool stuff that's going on. And then for me, I think the biggest takeaway this weekend was two things. A, we didn't see a ton of Obnixilis, right? Like I expected to see a lot more of it than we did. B, I wonder if that's more than maybe the decks aren't as good. We haven't flushed out the right deck for it, et cetera, et cetera, or the big problem of finding the card on Magic Online. It costs a million dollars on Magic Online, so it's hard to rent it from rental services, and then they just don't have copies of the card either. And that's one of the big problems with, you know, we talk about the um, economy all the time in Arena, and it's way worse. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything is worse than that economy, but that is a problem that goes on with the economy on Magic Online where people just aren't drafting that much on Magic Online anymore. So these cards don't get opened that often. Yeah, Arena really has affected the, you know, the, the moto economy as well. And that, that probably means that we just are going to need to wait another week or two to really see the full impact, uh, because card availability is such an issue early on. Uh, so, you know, the fact that some cards may have opened up, uh, disappointing, uh, does not mean that, you know, they're a complete bust already. You got to give it some time. So. Uh, we're going to have you know, a few weeks to let things settle, and then we can you know, make more firm judgments about what cards impressed and what cards disappointed from Streets of New Capenna. Yeah, before we get out here today, I had a couple questions that showed up in the, in the Discord. I wanted to go over them a little bit, one of which we're going to answer a little bit today. We might give a little bit more later as well. This was from uh, Revenchrist. They, they said this in the Patreon bonus episodes, which we haven't done in quite a while. 
But uh, this was a cool discussion that I wanted to bring up. And like, we don't have to maybe talk about it now. We can maybe even do something with it later. But I just wanted to put the question out there because it's really cool. And you and I can think about this and maybe have an entire episode of something like this where it says, as someone who only started uh, getting their feet wet competitively around Battle for Zendikar, I'd love to hear some history about modern before then. Things like, how did getting the ally fetch lands affect modern? And what was it like to have decks like Lantern Control sprout from nowhere? Also reminiscing about old cards that aren't good anymore, i.e. Electrolyze, Remand, etc. Man, I could tell you some stories about Electrolyze in modern and how much I loved casting that card. So look up for that in the future. This is definitely something I, w- I could talk about for a while, Ross. I don't know about you. Yeah, I would say there's there's probably less to talk about than you might think because it took a while for SEG to adopt modern as a main format on the tour. Um, and really, you didn't see a ton of modern get played until maybe 2016, 2017, after Battle for Zendikar. So we didn't have as robust of a metagame um, as you know you think about now, but it was definitely a very different format, much less powerful than what we have now by orders of magnitude. Like the early days of modern had people casting Wild Nicottles and Kitchen Finks. Yeah. And, you know, doing well. Kitchen Finks was a staple in Maliripod. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it really was just a... a honestly, like, it, it would feel modern... If you play modern from, like, 2013, it would feel more like Pioneer than current modern. People were playing... Like, I remember casting, like, Cryptic Command and Restoration Angel, and these were good things to be doing. Yeah, you would, you would resto your Kitchen Finks after blocking with it, and they had a counter on it, and you get to yeah. reset your Finks, and, yeah, and everything is cool. And Yeah, now people are just doing crazy busted stuff, and, yeah. you know, there, there were still things like Tron and Storm and, and combo decks, but, uh, you know, you had the, you, you generally have the disruption to, to stop them. Mm-hmm. I would say, like, you know, maybe Infect has been a really big loser, in the influx of really cheap interaction and good interaction, uh, in fact, has fallen by the wayside and at one time was like, you know, a tier one deck. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, a lot, I think a lot of the history of modern back then comes down to some cards that were eventually banned, you know, things like Splinter Twin and, and Birthing Pod in particular. Like, if I think about pre 2015 modern, I, I think about Lyrapod, I think about Twin, I think about Jund, and I think about linear decks like Tron and, and Infect. So, you know, Jund has just sort of taken different forms as the the format has evolved and gotten more powerful. Twin and Pod were forcibly removed, um, and the linear decks have gotten a lot worse, especially in the post-Modern Horizons era, like I said, with all this good, you know, cheap disruption. Absolutely. We do have a couple of mailbag submissions before I get to that. Just anybody else who wants to add on to that? That's, a, that's the Patreon bonus episode channel in our uh, Discord. So if anybody else wants to get another couple questions there, we can definitely do an episode like that. But we had two questions in our mailbag. Let's make sure we get these done. This is from Jordab. Do you think the presence of Lotus Field combo is too much for Pioneer? I think the combo is too good to have in the format, but when it's too oppressive for the power level that has been established... Uh, I'm sorry, but when is it too oppressive for the power level that's been established in the format? Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of it being legal, in the fact that if you look at the history of Pioneer, you know, it's short storied history of like what they've banned and taken out, they've pretty much gotten rid of like all the other quote unquote combo decks, right? Like they want, it seems like they want the format to be standard plus, right? Like mid-range decks, control decks, aggro decks, like do that kind of thing. So it does seem to kind of be an outlier versus every other deck. Also, I don't like the fact that it's just very hard to interact with. Like you just, 
can't really do something other than playing like a hate card most of the time. And they just have like Otawara and stuff like that nowadays that just answer everything and then untap and, you know, do their thing. So I'm not the biggest fan of it in the format. I'd like for it to be gone. That all being said, uh, I'm probably going to be playing a good bit of Pioneer when the, like, what do you, what do you call the, the RPTQ type things start to come up? You know, the stuff for Ordinance Play. And the first deck I'm going to really look into uh, playing with is this one, in fact, is Lotus Field, because I feel like the deck is very powerful. It is very powerful, but I, I actually think its existence is a good thing for Pioneer. I, I, you can't have a format that's, you know, completely overrun by combo the way it was in 2020, but having one or two good combo decks, which is sort of where we are now with Jeskai Ascendancy and Lotus Field, but Field definitely being the better of the two, it, it's a good check on the metagame devolving into those sort of mid-range slog fests, um, a, a, along with, you know, heavy control decks that are good. But I think Pioneer has the diversity of archetypes where unless the combo deck is truly broken and the numbers have shown that, you know, Lotus Field isn't, it's just good, um, that it's not going to completely take over the metagame. You know, you can get under it with, you know, these very low-to-the-ground aggressive decks that have a little bit of, of disruption. You can play, you know, Mono Blue Spirits that I'm sure is great against combo, uh, you know, pressure and counter spells. Narset is good against them. Obviously, Damping Sphere is a sideboard card that can go into any deck. Uh, is a nice one to have. So I think there, I I think the tools exist uh, both in archetype diversity, the quality of disruption, and having at least one piece of universal universally available hate um, to keep the deck in check, and it as itself keeps the metagame churning because it's it sort of like combo decks like that act sort of as a reset. You know, the, the you know mid range decks will beat the aggressive decks, and the control decks will beat the mid range decks, but Without a way to reset that cycle back to making the aggressive decks good, uh, you're going to get stuck, you know, at that part of the metagame evolution where it's all mid-range and control. So having the combo decks to, be, to come in and say, hey, like, you, you can't get too inbred, too lost in the weeds here, or I'm going to show up and eat you for lunch uh, is a good thing. And if you look at recent Pioneer results, it's not like Lotus Field is everywhere. It is a bit of an annoying deck to play against, I agree, because in general, Lotus Field, it's the card is difficult to interact with, and that's the one that you want to interact with the most. Uh, you know, they're a ramp deck, you want to cut off their mana. Uh, but there are enough other ways to interact with it, and, uh, you know, decks that are just naturally good against it that I don't think it's a problem. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Kind of agree with you there. Uh, I think that's going to be it for us this weekend. I'm sorry, this week. A little bit of a shorter episode. Ross and I are super busy. I've got stuff i got to go do. Um, you know, we'll, we'll make it up to y'all on the next one. So uh, thanks for listening. Ross, if you wanted to hear some more of you, uh, maybe non-jazz-related stuff for a little while. Oh, that's uh, where they go. Happen. This yeah, is going to be an interesting off-season for the Utah Jazz. Oh, for sure. Your, your whole franchise, I think, has to figure out what it wants to do. Yeah, and they don't have any draft picks. So <laughs> literal none. Not even a second rounder. <laughs> so that's that's interesting uh but yeah you can find me at uh at my twitter account i'm at ross hunnids that's the best place to you know uh keep abreast of everything i'm doing magic wise and non-magic wise also a good place to just ask me questions as i try to get back to people as often as possible uh and then there is my twitch channel which i promise is coming back soon i know i've been saying that for a while but just you know please be hashtag patient with soon. me yeah hashtag soon uh, and i'm ross underscore miriam there 
Uh, I would very much appreciate people dropping me a follow there for now until I am uh, ready to relaunch that stream in earnest. Tannen, if people want to follow everything about the Atlanta Braves title defense season, where can they find you? Uh, I will say this. I had been really good about not tweeting too much about it until just the, the umpires went absolutely ape shit this week. I don't know if you've been keeping up, but like they did some wild shit over the last week. In fact, I actually expect one umpire to be disciplined sometime soon, but I don't hold out hope for oh, that happening. I uh, I came very close to arguing with the umpire last night at softball. I'm, I'm assuming I'm, they're I'm assuming their rope is really small. It was uh, probably. Uh, my 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 manager, you know, <laughs> held me back basically. <laughs> That's amazing. So I'm I'm on uh, here. Here's what happened. So I'm I'm on second base. We've got a runner on first as well. No outs. Uh, this is actually the first inning. I was the first batter. I drew a leadoff walk. Um, so we got first and second. No outs. Our best hitter is at the plate, and uh, he misses the pitch and pops one up to the the shortstop. And in our league, that's supposed to be an infield fly. And they just don't call it. He does the drop on purpose. Well, uh, so I'm I go I take a few steps, but I'm shading back towards second because it looks like they're going to catch it. And the, the shortstop just drops the ball, and I hear not I heard nothing from the umpire, so I just bolt towards third because I'm like now I got to beat beat this throw. And it's a close play. I turn and he go and he calls me out on a tag. Uh, because the guy, you know, was standing on the base, but also tagged me. But I'm like, that's weird. Like the force would have come before the tag and, th- and then calls the batter out too. He was like, it was an infield fly. And where was like, literally no one heard you. Not even the people in our dugout heard him. And, he, and we didn't hear him for the entire game. He's just saw Like he just doesn't, you, you know, project his voice you need at to all. Project. Yeah, so you I, need to project. I'm just like, doodle. I had no idea. Like <laughs> And and we like we've had umpires call infield fly at times when they shouldn't you know not call it when they should the infield fly rule in our league it it just is the umpire's discretion sometimes it happens don't get me started on that and you never have any idea and we had a season end because of that yeah, the only the only constant is we have gotten fucked every time <laughs> like no matter how if it's called or not called it's always against us every time so I I was pretty heated at that I'm sure uh, I would I'd have got myself run so. Uh... If you want to hear me bitch about umpiring and stuff like that or Atlanta Brave stuff or just anything, actually, because I'm going to be talking a lot about Flesh and Blood over the next week or two, a lot about magic and stuff like that as well, that's uh, The Tan and Grace on Twitter. So make sure you follow me on there. Make sure you follow the, the the podcast itself as well. Very easy to find on Twitter. We just typed MTG Rants into Twitter. it will be the first thing that pops up. But thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's episode. We appreciate each and every one of you all, and we'll see you all next week. 